Father, our King, we thank you. Father, that you've given us the power to get wealth. Lord, that everything we are and do comes from you. And Abba, we pray for this tithe and these offerings. Lord, that you would use them to further your kingdom. Father, that you would use them, Lord God, to, to, to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And God, we sow them in faith, believing you to multiply it and bless it. B'shem Yeshua Mishikenu. And everyone said, Amen. And by the way, if you're wondering, you know, giving is part of worship. So in a traditional synagogue, you know, you can't give on Shabbat. But that's nonsense because giving is an expression of our worship to God. Matter of fact, that's all that takes place uh, on Shabbat is uh, giving and sowing. Folks, there's a lot of people with hands up wanting to give. (laughs) So make sure you get them. All right. How's everyone doing today? Okay, at least someone's doing fantastic. I mean, is there any other way to be? You have to give me a second. I have to, I have to do some filler while I, I, I restart my iPad because it has a mind of its own this morning, so we want to reel it in. Um, how many people read through the Parsha at home? couple of you. I want to encourage you to do that. Friends, everything in the Tanakh, okay, is related to Messiah. Hear me. Everything in the Tanakh, Yeshua said, it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Every single thing that you read about in the Tanakh is pointing us to God's Messiah and what he would do through the Messiah and what he wants to do in your life. So I want to encourage you to be faithful to read the Parsha to the corresponding Haftarah and also the New Covenant Scriptures. It speaks of the Messiah. It speaks of what he wants to do in you and through you. And today's no exception. If you are a note taker and love titles, I think finally, anyone who knows me knows I am the worst title person in the world. I pick the worst titles for my messages of anyone. I never come up with a good title. It's always plain, like a Sukkot message. Okay. It's not very exciting, right? Or, you know, Yom Kippur, 5776. Okay. That's not a great title. But today, I think finally, I have a divinely inspired title. So I think the Lord, maybe in this new year of Jubilee... And how do we know it's the year of Jubilee? There's a lot of reasons. But there's one reason that we really know it's the year of Jubilee. The Mets are in the playoffs. So it has to be the year of Jubilee. I almost, folks, I didn't know if you could handle it. But I almost wore my Mets keeper. I have a Mets keeper. It's blue and orange with the New York logo, Mets logo in orange. But I didn't think you could handle it. I thought you'd think that the rabbi is going off the deep end. So I didn't do it. But my message title, that's what you're waiting for. <laughs> Got sidetracked. You know, as a Met fan, a lifelong Met fan, to see them in the playoffs is very, very rare. I might not see it again in my lifetime. So I'm excited about that. 
But the message title for this Parsha, which of course we know is Bereshit, is From Creation to New Creation. And, and that title should say it all, right? From Creation to New Creation. Um, that's where we're headed, folks. God began it all, but he's going to also finish it all. So to understand, and let's pray first. You know what? We need to ask the Spirit of God, the very Spirit of God that we read about already, right, in Bereshit chapter 1, that hovered over the waters, the very Spirit of God that did that creative, divine uh, miracle of God is also with us today. And to ask the Ruach to speak to our hearts. Amen? Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, Elohei Yeshua, Mishikainu, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. God of Yeshua, our Messiah, we thank you for this Sabbath day. Abba, what a gift that you've given to man. Father, that after six days of creating, you rested from your work and encourage us to rest in you. And Abba, I pray that today you would speak to our hearts that as we slow ourselves down and take this day to reflect on you, that you would speak to our hearts and by your ruach change our lives. Father, that you would cause us and enable us to live by your ways. And we ask it B'Shem Yeshua and God's people said, Amen. To understand who we are, it's important to know where we come from and how we got our start, isn't it? As individuals, our origins through the process of procreation gives our lives a context, a starting point. This serves as a reference for our lives, which is the culmination of our lineage and our ancestry. We as Jewish people should know that better than anyone. In the same way, the creation account in the scriptures gives humankind that same reference and context. Understanding our origins, starting with the author of creation and our relationship to him, was meant to provide the framework and foundation of human existence. Do you hear that? This framework was provided so that we could make the most of our lives through our connection with the creator of the universe to give context and purpose to our lives. Friends, if we're not connecting to God, we have no context to life. We're just meandering through life trying to find meaning. You ever meet folks like that? Their life has no meaning. What is the purpose to life? We as Jews, as Messianic Jews, specifically know our purpose in life. We're not wondering. We know what God has called us to. In light of this, we can understand why modern society has lost its way. Why it has derailed, ending up far from its biblical moorings. With the hellish onslaught against the foundations of scriptural faith being propagated in our society, including our teaching institutions, we have a society increasingly detached from its biblical context and ultimately from God himself. Do you hear me? We have a society that is detached from its biblical context and detached from God. And if you don't think that's a problem, 
Just turn on the news. Just look at the people you work with. It's quite evident if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. As a society, we're getting farther and farther from our true origins. And the end result is people with no concept of who they are and why they exist or the God who created all things. Do you know we live in a generation that doesn't even believe God exists? And as Jewish people, we're not exempt. How many Jewish atheists are there? Many. One scholar said, theological disaster ensues when the book of nature, which is general revelation, what we see in nature, is used to trump God's special revelation, the scriptures. When science is placed over scripture as authoritative and compelling, the current conversation on this subject is leading down a path that will do irrevocable harm to our affirmation of the accuracy and authority of God's word. We don't often make a connection between the account in Genesis and the scriptures that record it to faith. We don't often make a connection between the modern day teachings of evolution and science and connect that to faith or what's happening in our society. And I want to tell you, there is a very, very strong connection to it. This is why the scriptures are under attack. Because if the scriptures are put into question, then the God of the scriptures, the Messiah, and redemption itself is put into question. So if this is all a fairy tale, you and I should get up and leave and never come back. If it's just a feel-good fairy tale, then there's no need to really go out of our way, is it? And so our society as a whole has very little interest in God. And since the economy of God, listen to this, is based on emunah, all these quote-unquote questions eat at the core of people's faith. That's why you could have religious people who don't believe the scriptures. You ever meet people like that? They're religious people, but they don't believe the scriptures are real and true. Friends, faith, as you've heard me say many times, is the currency of the kingdom of God. It says, by faith, Avraham believed God. Right? And without faith, okay, we really can't interact with the God of the universe. And so the enemy comes in to sow doubt and unbelief like we read in the very first few chapters of Bereshit, like he did with Adam and Chava, to sow in doubt and unbelief. Why? Eating at the faith that they had in the living God and bringing destruction to humankind. I want to tell you that that same principle is at work today. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy the faith 
of humankind in the one true living God. Because even if he doesn't steal it totally, but just casts a little bit of doubt, a little bit of unbelief, then you could have believers who quote-unquote know God, have experienced God, tasted of the glories of God, walk around thinking that God somehow doesn't want to help them because, you know, who am I? Because the enemy casts just a little doubt, saying, oh, you're not worthy of the help of God because you're broken, because you're unholy, because you're not worthy of God interacting with you. I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth than that lie. Today, with the beginning of a new Torah cycle, I thought it would be a good time to look at God's plan from creation to a new creation. God has never, nor will he ever be taken by surprise. Do you believe that? God is the eternal one. He is the beginning and the end. Right? He knows the end from the beginning. He's not surprised by the twists, twists and turns of life or society or humankind. So God has always had a plan to restore humanity to its intended reason for being. Hear me, do you even know what that is? Do you know what humanity's intended reason for being is? Most people don't, and it's very simple. To worship the creator. To be in fellowship with the God of Israel. That's mankind's intended reason for being. Who knows that? Not many. They think their intended reason for being is being a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief. And all all that's good. And I would encourage our kids to be all those things. But that's not their intended reason for being. Their intended reason for being is to worship and serve the living God. Therefore, giving people an opportunity to embrace the correct perspective and context to life as well as as giving them purpose for living. That's what God wants us to know. So let's go for, I only have a couple of points but they won't be short. (laughs) And the first one is the genesis of life. We we talk about Bereshit, right? Hopefully you read it all week. Bereshit means genesis, the beginning, right? And it says, and the first thing it it proclaims is the eternally self-existent God. It says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was unformed and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovered over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. You know, I find it's it's funny. Jewish people don't even know what they believe many times. I find Jewish people telling me, all sorts of crazy things that Jewish people believe and don't believe. But it's not really based on education. It's based on their own personal traditions and customs. Let me tell you, just reading through Jewish theological um, commentaries on Bereshit, I want to quote one of them to you, and this is common. 
Look what it says. This is from the JPS Torah commentary on Genesis. It says, God, unlike the pagan cosmologies, Genesis exhibits no interest in the question of God's origins. His existence prior to the world is taken as axiomatic, which means self-evident or obvious, and does not even require assertion, let alone proof. In other words, Jewish people believe that God is, period. We don't have to prove that God is. We don't have to come up with arguments about the existence of God. We believe God is, period. He doesn't have to prove himself to us. He just is. There is no definition of God or any mystical speculation about his nature. God's nature finds expression not in philosophical abstractions, but through his acts and through the demands he makes on human beings. God defines himself. He sets and makes the rules that he expects us to follow. And by following them, we interact with him. We experience him. And that's why no one can come to this person right here, your rabbi, and tell me that God isn't real. I would laugh at them. Not rudely. I would be polite to them. But I would laugh in my heart because... I know that's not true because I have experienced him. I know him. I have heard his voice, not audibly, but in my heart. I know he's real. One writer says, it is possible for a person to contend that a poem is nothing but black marks on white paper. And such an argument might be convincing before an audience that could not read. You can examine the print under a microscope or analyze the paper and ink, but you will never find something behind this sort of analysis that you could call a poem. Those who can read, however, will continue to insist that poems exist. Right? And that's what the world tries to do with God. Jewish theologians said that the biblical creation narrative is a document of faith. It is a quest for meaning and a statement of a religious position. It enunciates the fundamental postulates of the religion of Israel. The central ideas and concepts that animate the whole of biblical literature... Its quintessential teaching is that the universe is wholly the purposeful product of divine intelligence that is of the one self-sufficient, self-existing God who is a transcendent being outside of nature and who is sovereign over space and time. That's what Jewish people really believe if they believe in God. Doesn't that make God big? See, often we serve a God that's very small. Oh, God, could you help me in my time of need? Of course he could help you in your time of need. God, God, do you want to help? Of course God wants to help you. That's who he is. He's defined himself as all those things. God, when he wanted to help Yehoshua, Joshua, 
get the battle won, he just decided, I'll stop the sun from moving in the sky to prolong the day, and he did it. God could do anything he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. That's the definition of sovereignty. He is king above all kings. And when his children call upon him, yes, God wants to help them and move on their behalf. So we see God as this self-existent, eternally present God. You believe that? If you don't, you need to rethink your position on it. The second thing we see is God is the creator. Period. End of sentence. In the beginning, God created. God only. He is the only one who created anything. Listen, and he did it ex nihilo. Do you know what that means? Creatio ex nihilo. It's Latin for God created out of nothing. See, man creates or arranges things from existing material, right? If I were to say to a man in this room, listen, I need you to go create yourself a dwelling. And we just did it with our sukkah. We would go, we'd find our, 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 our little our, our palm bows and our trees and our limbs and we'd create a dwelling for us. But we didn't create the material. God did. He created out of nothing. The creator designed all that we now know and see. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you walked outside of your house and looked at creation and said, wow, Hashem, you're awesome. The very foundation of the earth that we walk upon is his doing. The sun that hangs in the sky just long enough. <laughs> we have to mess with it by daylight saving time. But, but just long enough to allow us to get what we need to get done is by his handiwork. God alone creates. Could you imagine with all our science, there is a luminary hanging in the sky, burning and giving light to humankind. It has no power source in and of itself except that God created it and made it to burn. And you and I will be dead and buried ten times over before that thing even starts to faint a little bit or until God wraps everything up. How amazing is this God? And we don't think that somehow God could help us. Friends, I want to tell you, God is nearer to you than you think. He's the creator The very fact that we live in an intelligently designed universe speaks to God as creator. Man cannot create, like I said. Man can merely rearrange the blocks that God has provided, like a toddler in a nursery. And we think we're so great. But don't toddlers think they're great? You give them the blocks with the A, B, and the C, and and they make a little pyramid, four on the bottom, then three, then two, then one. Mama, mama. Wow, that's what it's like God looking down upon us. We're impressed, but God is like, it's cute. It's cute. As long as we have the perspective that he made the blocks that we're playing with. 
The JPS commentary says this, the Hebrew stem bara, which means to create, is used in the Bible exclusively of divine creativity. It signifies that the product is absolutely novel and unexampled, depends solely on God for its coming into existence and is beyond the human capacity to reproduce. In other words, the things that God created, we could never reproduce like he did. So what does that mean? We must be dependent upon this God. Do you know what? The ancients were actually a little better at that than we are. We think we're self-dependent. That, oh, we can live our life without God and somehow make it through. Yes, you can make it through. But you're not going to make it through well without him. He goes on to say, this conclusion is reinforced by the idea of creation by divine fiat without reference to any inert matter being present. Also, the repeated biblical emphasis upon God as the exclusive creator would seem to rule out the possibility of pre-existent matter. Finally, if bara is used only of God's creation, it must be essentially distinct from human creation or arrangement. The ultimate distinction would be creatio ex nihilo, which has no human parallel and thus utterly beyond human comprehension. You see, the people that think we could somehow explain God are out of their minds. If you could grasp an infinite God, then you'd be infinite, wouldn't you? If your finite mind, which God created, just like I'm talking about those little blocks, A, could comprehend an infinite God, that would make you on par with God. Friends, we are very, 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 very far below God. God is infinite. His wisdom, it says in the scripture, beyond searching out. Not only did God create, but he ceased from creating. And that's important for the evolutionists. God ceased from creating. So nothing new was created after God finished. God finished the totality of creation in six days. And look what it says in Bereshit 2. Thus the heavens and earth were finished along with everything in them. On the seventh day, God was finished from his work, which he had made. So he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. God blessed the seventh day and separated it as holy, because on that day, God rested from all his work, which he had created, so that itself could produce. So God not only is the self-existent God, not only is he God the creator, but he's the God who stopped creating. So everything that we're going to have, we have. By the way, I've never witnessed a monkey in a transitional form ever. Just saying. God the creator. You see, a message like this is meant to restore the majesty of God. God is made very small in the world. Matter of fact, he's put into religions. Or you could insert a little taste of God if you so desire, and you could have this flavor or that flavor. No, no. God is our source. 
And if we don't hook up to our source, we're going to be deficient in a lot of things. But God, being the God that he is, how would I describe God? How would you describe? Not how I would describe God, which is really, he's indescribable. How would I describe God beyond awesome? A God who loves his creation beyond measure? A God who only desires good for humankind and there is no darkness in him? A God who is benevolent, but a God who is just and true and righteous and holy. We could go on and on. But that God that I briefly described happened to make man, you and I, the pinnacle of his creation. That should be humbling to you and I. It said, then God said, let us make humankind in our image. Notice the us, the plural. We're going to get to that as a little rabbit trail in a second. In the likeness of ourselves, God is one, correct? Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Right? Okay. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals, and over all the earth, and over every crawling creature that crawls on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the likeness of God, he created him male and female. He created them. In the Zohar, it comments on this verse, and look what it says. Come and see the mystery of the word, and he uses the tetragram, yod heh vav Hashem. There are three steps, each existing by itself. Nevertheless, they are one. And so united that one cannot be separated from the other. The ancient Holy One is revealed with three heads, which are united into one. And that head is three exalted. The ancient one is described as being three because the other lights emanating from him are included in the three. But how can three names be one? Are they really one because we call them one? How three can be one can only be known through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So this concept of the triune nature of God that we have as believers is a Jewish concept, friends. Do you know the word for echad is not the one for a singular one. Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, one. That same word echad is used for when man and woman become one flesh. Echad. Last time I checked, I am one. My wife is one. It makes two. But God says we are echad, one. It's used for a cluster of grapes, 20 of grapes. On one vine is called a cluster of of grapes, echad, one. But yet there are many on it. So echad is a Hebrew word not meaning a singular numerical one because that word is yachid. But God is one, manifesting in its triune nature. That was just a little side note for you. Because how do you touch on that and read those words without commenting? I don't know. So the divine intent and purpose are solemnly declared in advance. And the stereotype formula, and it was, so gives way to a thrice-repeated avowal that God created the man using the significant verb bara. So God created. Human beings are to enjoy, listen to me, are to enjoy. Say the word enjoy. Enjoy. 
Say it again. Okay, religions become obligatory. But we were made to enjoy a unique relationship to God who communicates with them alone and who shares with them the custody and administration of the world. So his relationship with man is special and unique. I want to ask you a question for your own, at your own convenience to answer. Do you enjoy God? Do you want to enjoy him? Enjoy his presence. Enjoy his word. Enjoy the things that he's all about. Do you enjoy him? That is far different than being and feeling obligated to serve him. See, if my kids would say to me, Dad, I'm going to live with you because I have to, I can't tell you that that would put a big smile on my face. But when my kids say that, Dad, I love to be around you, well, that's a different story. So last night, I call on my little one, my Abby, my Abigail, comes up, and we, yes, we were watching the Met game, and she crawls up on my lap and says, Daddy, I love you, and smooches the daddy. Do we need to say anything else? No. That's how God wants our relationship. He wants us to enjoy him. Religion means that we just do it because we don't want God to smite us. It was never meant to be that way. But enter in man and (laughs) so it is. You see, in fact, we know from chapter 2 of Bereshit that Adam is one of one. He's an original, isn't he? Matter of fact, he's even distinct from Chava, right? Because after all, God made Adam from the dust of the earth and formed him. But Chava was formed from man. Think of that. So, so Adam is unique because we're going to tie this to the Brit Chadashah that talks about the first Adam and the last Adam. And there's a connection here to Bereshit. You see... Adam is unique like none other. There will never be an Adam. Everyone since Adam is from the DNA of man. But not an Adam. He's from God only. Because we often talk in terms of Adam and Eve, right? And yes, God did ultimately create them both, but they are created differently. Adam... Solely the work of God. Chava taken from man. All right, so why is this important? It's important because there is no one in human history like Adam. He is a one-off, a one-of-one. Every other human came from human DNA. Not the case with him. He's uniquely positioned as the originator of our species. All of mankind is of Adam, but Adam is only the creation of God. 
With that said, God in his creation of man did so in order to have fellowship and interaction with mankind. He's caught walking with Adam in the cool of the day, talking to Adam, conversing, having a relational experience, not unlike that of Avraham, not unlike that of David, not unlike that of Shmuel, who heard the voice of God, a relationship with God, fellowship with God. But in order for love to be real, it requires a free will, does it not? If you could force people to love you, that'd be one pretty sad. But you would never be convinced that they really love you, would you? And so God gives man a free will. And this way he knows that when they say, (laughs) from the heart, he knows it's real. Therefore, God gave Adam and Chava the gift of a free will. And as we know, the serpent, right? How many people like snakes? Anyone? How many snake people? No. Yeah, no. No. The serpent is synonymous with Hasatan. And here's what the Talmud and the Midrashim have to say according to Jewish Tradition. He is the incarnation of evil, speaking of the serpent, Hasatan. And his thoughts and activities are devoted to the destruction of man, so that Satan, the impulse to evil, the Yetzir Hara, and the angel of death are one and the same personality. He descends from heaven and leads astray, then ascends and brings accusations against mankind, and thus his name, Hasatan, which means the accuser. So he accuses man before God. And he says, hey, God, uh, your, 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 your creation is, is, is vile. And they're awful. And you should let me, you know, get on to them. Always accusing us before God. And he received the, the divine commission. And, and it goes on to say, he takes away the soul. Or in other words, he slays, speaking of the serpent. Well, you know what the Brut Chadashah also talks about and gives a great definition of Hasatan, the serpent. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 12 and 9. The great dragon was thrown out. That ancient serpent, Bereshit, right? Chapter 3, also known as the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. What did he do in the garden? Do you remember? He deceived Chava. And Adam. You have to put Adam in with him because it says that Adam was there. So he deceived humankind. And that's what he continues to do. He deceives. That's how he gains a foothold in the lives of humanity by deceiving. Do you ever wonder, logically think speaking, why in the world do all the nations hate Israel? What did we do? With the size of New Jersey, there's no like great natural resources in the land like there is in the surrounding countries that are loaded down with oil and the whole bit. 
got a little piece of land that was a barren desert when we got there. You couldn't grow anything there. And we turned it by God's grace into a fruitful garden and we supply the surrounding nations with goods. But why is there such an irrational hatred to Israel? It's deception from Hasatan who deceives the nations into thinking that Israel is the enemy. It doesn't make any logical sense. Matter of fact, if you look at the contribution Jewish people have made to modern society, it's astounding. We would be backwards if it wasn't for Jewish thinkers. Why the hatred? Deception. The enemy is a master. That's who he is. And just like he did it, think about it, to Adam and Chava, who were looking at God face to face, chatting with him. Boy, he's good, this salesman of Hasatan, in deceiving us. I just have this question. I'm going to throw it out there. I want you to review it yourself. You think there's any areas of your life where you're deceived? Were you buying into something that the world is selling us that isn't really true? That if we investigated it with the word of God as our foundation, perhaps we would say, wait a second, this isn't right. God says something contrary. Friends, are you struggling about who you are? This whole thing is about where we're going. We're going from, from creation to a new creation. Some of you struggle about who you are. You think who you are is tied up in how you look. You think who you are is tied up in how you dress or your status in society. Who you are is solely dependent upon your relationship with God. And if you find your identity in anything else, you'll never find peace. Do you know this struggle that humankind still faces today with Hasatan and evil and the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination, needs to be overcome? Matter of fact, in Bereshit chapter 4, right, from the same Parsha, we know the story of Chaim, right, and Avel, Cain and Abel, right? And look what it says. God is speaking to Cain. And he says, if you are doing what is good, shouldn't you hold your head high? And if you don't do what is good, sin is crouching at the door. Hear that. Sin is crouching at the door. It wants you. I want to tell you nothing has changed. Sin is crouching at the door. It wants you. But look what God says to him. But you can Rule over it. You can rule over it. This was obviously not without struggle since Cain ends up yielding to his evil inclination and we know what happens. He kills his brother. He made the wrong choice. And he pays the price for it. 
So we have seen that life comes from God alone and that Satan through human weakness and temptation comes to kill, steal, and destroy the very life that God created. It's already present in Bereshit chapter 3, friends. We're not even three chapters into the Tanakh. It surfaces. This is what the whole temple sacrificial system is predicated on. The reason why God had to have an elaborate system of atonement is because of this three-letter word, sin. Say it with me, sin. sin. I want to tell you sin, I've said it before, I'll say it every week if you want, is the blight of mankind. Why does, do nations want to overtake other nations? Sin. Why is there hatred? Sin. Right? Why is there murder? Sin. Why is there death and destruction? Why is there pride? Sin. Why is there greed? Sin. It all boils down to the same thing. It, it sprung its head here in Bereshit chapter 3 because it is the personification of Satan himself. He is all those things. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And when we have inclinations like that, we are giving in to the wrong part of our nature. So bring in now the last Adam. We just talked about the first Adam, right? Do you know the Brit Kaddishah speaks about the last Adam? Boy, is that curious? I just want to tell you why, because... God did something unique in the first Adam and he did something even more unique in the last Adam. The last Adam is how we find access to God in his kingdom. I throw that out to you. No, I'm not kidding around. If someone were to ask you, tomorrow at work, do you have access to God and his kingdom? What would you say? No, what would you say? Would you say, yes, yes, it's true? Would you say, yes, because that's the right answer, Rabbi? Would you say, yes, because you know that you really have access to God and the kingdom of God? That is the whole reason why God created a relationship with mankind and the nation of Israel, is that there would be a nation on earth that can access the living God. In fact, the Tanakh says... Adam, the first man, became a living human being, but the last Adam, speaking of Yeshua, has become a life-giving spirit. Note, however, that the body from the spirit did not come first, but the ordinary human one, the first Adam, the one from the spirit comes afterwards. The first man is from the earth made of dust, and the second man from heaven, The people born of dust are like the man of dust. And the people born from heaven are like the man from heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of of dust, don't you? We look just like Adam, like God created him. Just like we do now. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so also we will bear the image of the man from heaven. In his commentary, Stern writes, the Dispora Jewish philosopher Philo contrasted the incorruptible heavenly man of Genesis 1 with the earthly man of Genesis 2. The former represented the ideal spiritual state of the mind seeking heavenly things. 
The latter, the carnal person devoted to temporal things. Which one are you, by the way? Shaul reapplies the language of this view, which the Corinthians had probably adopted to the resurrected body, switching the order. Jewish teachers often explain, listen to me, that Adam's descendants were created like him. His sin brought sin and death into the world for everyone. But they also often taught that Adam had incomparable glory and power before he fell into sin and that his glory and power would be restored in the world to come. Isn't that something? So we see the contrast of the first Adam who God created from the earth and the last Adam who God sent from heaven to earth. The last Adam is a reference to Messiah Yeshua, who, like the first Adam, listen, was the progenitor for all who would come after him. And just like the first Adam was born from the earth, the second Adam was born from above, and his descendants will also be born from above. You hear that term that I'm using, born from above, born anew? Christians have taken that, and they come up with the phrase, born again. It's a Jewish concept, meaning born from above. And in Jewish literature, that term born anew or, or a rebirth of sorts is used many, many times in the Jewish life cycle. Let me read to you the account in Yochanan. There was a man among the Perishim named Naktimon. He was a ruler of the Judeans. And this man came to Yeshua by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know it is from God that you have come as teacher, for no one can do these miracles you perform unless God is with him. Yes, indeed, Yeshua answered him, I tell you that unless a person is born again from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nakdimon said to him, how can a grown man be born? Can he go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Yeshua answered, yes, indeed, I tell you that unless a person is born from water... Okay, here's the caveat. Jewish people knew that there were certain rebirths in Judaism. But Yeshua takes him back to the first one. If you were not born of water and the spirit, now they were all born of water and they got that. But he references now being born of the spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born from the flesh is flesh and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Stop being amazed at me telling you that you must be born again from above. Judaism's rebirth is used to describe a person's change in status. Like when a Gentile converts to Judaism, for instance, or when a man gets married. Hey, men, did your status change when you got married? Was that a rebirth of sorts? Oh, yeah. That's called what we call a paradigm shift. Right? When you get married, new, everything, correct? It's true. Just telling you like it is. I'm not lying. The rabbi's not lying to you. Matter of fact, it's taught that on Rosh Hashanah, when Israel offered sacrifices, that God considered it as though he had created them like brand new beings. And Judaism frequently uses new birth to describe the world to come. And that's the same, by the way, imagery and language that the book of Revelation uses when it talks about the new heaven and the new earth. 
at the end of the age. Tikkun olam. So, so in order to have a rightful place in the world to come, we must be born or reborn of this spirit. That's what the Messiah was saying. Through the Messiah and be made alive to God, repairing the breach of relationship caused by the first Adam. How God is ingenious, knowing that the first Adam gave natural life, that he would send the Messiah to be the second Adam to impart spiritual life, which means what? Simply reconnection to God. A real connection, not a fake connection, not a religious connection, but a real connection to God. This is important, not just to give us access to eternal life and atonement, but also, listen to me, and this is going to be, I'm going to end in a few minutes, to give us victory over evil through the transformation of the Ruach. First Adam didn't have victory over evil, did he? He succumbed to it, boom, right out of the chute. Sin comes on to all man. Sin's a problem. From Bereshit chapter 3 on, men were living, and I know, if we find this hard to believe, you need to rethink your theology. Men lived 900 years. Imagine the teenage period for that. What's that, like from 300 to 500? Man, get him out of the house. I don't know how that works, friend. Trust me, I don't know how it works. But I know it's true. There's a lot of uh, um, scientists that have theories as to why that was and how that was. I'll leave that to God. I'm going to hit the reels in heaven when I get there. But all I know is this, that after sin entered the world, people who were living 900 years started living 700 years, and then 500 years, and then 400 years. And they started living shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and... By the time now God is seeing the sin of mankind, men aren't living that long anymore. And God says, you know what? I've had enough with this creation that I made. I think I'm going to do a reboot. And I'm going to wipe them all out. And he finds one man, Noah, right? And we know what happens. But sin was killing the natural man. I want to tell you, sin kills the spiritual man too. And God had to put a limit on man to say that, hey, hey, you'll leave the three score and 10. I'll give you 70 years because if you keep going like this, you're going to live like two, two seconds. So God has mercy on mankind and he gives us a, a, a chance to get out. Friends, 70 years ain't long. We can attest to that, can't we? Don't you feel like you just graduated high school? I do. I'm 53. Friend, my high school years are dead and buried. But it feels like it just happened. It goes fast. God's given us a little breath, a vapor of life. But sin is the culprit. It's the problem. But look what God said about a new creation. Say new creation. For neither being circumcised, which means being Jewish, or being uncircumcised matters. What matters is being a new creation. So he's saying, doesn't matter if you're Jewish or non-Jewish, because if you're Jewish, Baruch Hashem, now you're my servant, so the rest of the nations could come to know me. But 
Needless to say, God wanted all nations to serve him. But what matters isn't circumcision or non-circumcision. What matters is the new creation. Well, what's the new creation? Telling us that men need to meet this requirement. Well, therefore, if anyone is united with the Messiah, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and look, the new has come, and what has come is fresh and new. If you are united with the Messiah, you are a new creation. I'm not making it up. If, if, now it's a big if, you are united with the Messiah, you are a new creation. The old has passed. And what is he talking about? I know what you're thinking, but but man, I got some things hanging on (laughs) of that old thing there. He's not talking about stuff or character traits. It's saying that the old paradigm has passed. And behold, all things are new. There's a new paradigm for you. See, a lot of people think that it's, because I don't know, I was the same person I was before day to day. But there's a new paradigm. And that paradigm is given to us through the Messiah in the form of instructions. He teaches us how to live our life and how to gain victory and how to speak and how to think and how to overcome evil and how to be all that we could be in God. And when we practice those things, we go from victory to victory. Friend, it just doesn't happen through osmosis. And believers, listen to me. If you're waiting for something mysteriously to come upon you to change your life, you're misguided. He's already happened. He came. He finished it, he said. It's finished. The Mashiach has come and offered himself, and this is what he said, come and follow me. And when you follow him, and you follow his teachings, and you do what he says, you're going to find victory in your life. Okay? You're going to find victory at every turn when you practice what he said to practice. Let me give you this example. You, as a believer, you can't walk around cursing things. And what I mean by cursing, calling down on yourself negative words all the time and expect to live in victory. The Messiah said that we are to speak over ourselves blessings. We walk around as believers saying all sorts of raunchy things over our own lives, over our children, over the kingdom of God. Do you find anywhere in scripture where Yeshua did any of those things? No. Yeshua never said this, I can't. Did he? The scripture tells us the same thing. It says, I can do all things. Say all things. Through Messiah, who gives me strength. I could do all things through the Messiah who gives me strength. We walk around telling everyone what we can't do. And we tell God what we can't do. And God, I can't do this because I'm that. And God, I can't do this because I'm this. And God's saying, what? You could do all things through the Messiah. So the union we have through being born again from above through Messiah makes us new. The old is past. 
So like I said, how does it happen? Does it happen solely on acknowledging the Messiah and putting our trust in him? I don't think so. That just gives us access to this new life. It's our job to make the most of it. Therefore, we enter into this new life of God. We have a new orientation. How? By doing. Say doing. The things that Messiah teaches us. I don't want to... By doing the things. Say doing. Okay. Believers often want to live the new life in God, void of the principles of God that were given to bring us freedom and joy. It won't happen, and in fact, it can happen. The scripture tells us to study, to show ourselves approved, doesn't it? The word tells us to be careful about the words we speak and the thoughts that we think. It tells us whatever is pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, think on these things. I know we're Jewish. We like to walk around convention all day. I get it. But that's not the design of God for us. The design of God for us is to think on the excellency of the glory of God. If in fact we find him glorious, which I do, God is glorious. I am his creation. He doesn't make junk. What do you walk around thinking about all day? The scripture tells us to take every thought captive. The word tells us to speak good things. Heavenly things, not earthly things. Are we doing these things as believers? Answer that. Are we doing those things as believers? Are we showing by our actions that we're truly following the last Adam? the Messiah, who gave us instructions on how to live. Isn't that what we're waiting for? Israel's waiting for the Messiah to come to instruct them. He came. He instructed us. But are we following his instructions? That's a valid question. Are you following his instructions? That's why you need to be in the word on a regular basis. He gives us instructions for living. But you know what? I don't want to do that, Rabbi. I just want it to happen to me. Well, good luck with that. It's not the way it works. Well, I want it to work like that. Good luck with that. It's not the way it works. It works. God collaboring with man. He doesn't do it for us. He does it with us. How many believers, and I don't want to show your hands and don't you say anything, don't say a word. Believers who don't spend time daily with the Lord. You read the scriptures once in a blue moon that the Bible tells us that that's our life source, the words of God. We just went through on Simcha Torah Tehillim 119, all about the word of God and what the word of God means to us. Yet for many people, that's all they read all week. Friend, if we want to live the life that God has for us, it has to be done his way. God is giving mankind an opportunity and a second chance. He has given us the ability to be recreated, if you will, through the Messiah where you don't need to be bound to the works of the flesh, but are free to walk in true godliness and holiness. Listen to this scripture. 
For those who identify with their old nature, set their minds on the things of the old nature. But those who identify with the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Having one's mind controlled not by the the old nature is death, but having one's mind controlled by the Spirit is life and shalom. Who wants life and shalom? For the mind controlled by the old nature is hostile to God because it does not want to submit itself to God's Torah. Isn't that the crux of it, friend? If 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 we get real... Let's be real. We don't want to do it God's way. When we are in that mode, and let's face it, I'm not, we all get in that mode, including the rabbi. When we don't want to do it God's way, I don't like God's way. God's way is the only way that works. God's way is the only way it works. So we need to rethink. Remember, creator, created. We get ourselves in the hot water when we don't want to do it God's way. I'm just about done, but I have to tell you this. We are new creations. Say, I'm a new creation. You are. If you've accepted Messiah, it's true. Period. What you do now, though, is really up to you. How you live your life, because God gave you a free will, is up to you. He's given us access to his kingdom. He's given us access to his resources, but we must take advantage of them. We must look to the truth of Scripture and the teachings of Messiah and apply them every day to our lives. Over time, say over time, we will see that we are transformed. It doesn't work if you start and stop. And to prove this, we have Hebrew today. Beginning Hebrew. Many people are going to start And I want to guarantee you, you could do it a whole week. If you stop after week one and put it down for a month and pick it up again, you're going to start from the very beginning. You're going to set yourself back. Who's taking Hebrew and can attest to that? It's true. You ever been on a diet? Does starting and stop work? No, you lose 20. You go off it, you stop, you put 20. Two. hate to say it. You know how it works. Start and stop it. It's consistency every day. And if you apply the scriptures every day of your life, the principles of the Messiah, you're going to go from freedom to freedom to freedom to freedom to freedom. It's going to take time. But as you do it every day, day in and day out and day in and day out, freedom to freedom to freedom to joy, to life, to peace. You're going to live it. You're going to be it. You're going to be able to encourage others because God has given you the tools to live your life victoriously. But if you're going to say to me, Rabbi, I've tried it. I've tried to do it for a month, and then I stopped. That's why. Day in and day out, consistently. It takes consistency, 
practice and application over time to help us become proficient in the skills that the word of God tells us. The same is true in the mastery of everything. Romans 12 says, in other words, do not let yourselves be conformed to the standards of the olam hazeh, this present world. Instead, keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Say renewing. It's telling us there's a process of replacing how we currently think to how God thinks. We think very earthly, very sensually. God doesn't think like that. God thinks divinely, loftily. That's why he said to Joshua and to Caleb, go in and take the land. God knew there were giants in the land. But God also knew what he was capable of doing for them if they believed that he would rout the giants. God knew that. See, God thinks divinely, and he wants his people to think divinely, heavenly. Yet we often replace heavenly thinking with worldly, earthly thinking, low-level thinking, and we reap its fruits. Friends, look at me. I want you to start thinking like the Messiah taught us to think. He said that we shouldn't be thinking on the earthly plane. We should be thinking on the heavenly plane where Messiah is, seated in heavenly places with God. So God created the first Adam. He created this last Adam. And at the end of the day, you can read it throughout the book of Revelations, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And the scripture says this. Here's the tie-in from the very first chapter to the last. In where dwells, in this new heaven and new earth that God's going to create, tikkun olam, righteousness. The first Adam did not walk in righteousness, sinned. The last Adam gave us the ability to be the righteousness of God in the Messiah. And in the new heavens and the new earth that he will create, those followers of Yeshua will dwell in a righteous state with God. People think of, wrongly so, that we're going to be living in heaven. That's a Christian thought. Scripture doesn't say we're going to be living in heaven. It says that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And he's going to dwell on earth. P.S. in Jerusalem. That's where, so do you ask the silly question? Someone asked, where do you think the new Jerusalem is going to be located? (laughs) What? New Jerusalem, it's going to be located in Jerusalem. (laughs) And it says that in in that when God comes to earth and recreates the earth, righteousness is going to rule and reign. He wants us to start practicing now living our lives righteously before him. So we could be, go from the fallen creation to the new creation in Messiah, looking forward to God, winding it all up when he creates everything afresh and new to Kun Olam, where you and I will dwell with Messiah forever and ever. Isn't that awesome? God spoke that all the way at the beginning, knowing the final end of all things. Friends, if you don't line up with him today, you're just going to be wasting time. If you're in this room 
and you're struggling and you're struggling and you're struggling, start lining your thoughts up and your actions up today with the word of God and let him transform your life. He's wanting to transform your life and give you the joy back, the peace back. But start lining up. God's not going to fight with you, wrestle with you. Yes, he wants you to do it, but if at the end of the day you just keep pushing him away, there's nothing he could do. Embrace the calling of God. Follow his ways and watch your life explode with joy and newness and great things. You start thinking like the Messiah thinks, you're not going to be discouraged at all. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to be filled with life and joy and faith and hope. You're going to be walking around thinking, man, life is good. So many believers are walking around, oh, man, this this stinks. This stinks. The Messiah walked around knowing that in a few short years he was going to get hung on a tree for the sins of his people, walked around optimistically saying, Baruch Hashem, God is awesome. Doing great things. And guess what? You can too if you start to act like him. Amen? All right. Be quiet, Rabbi. All right, I will. Let's stand. You know, I just dropped a lot of things into your lap. I get it. I mean, that's like five messages. You could digest that for many weeks to come. Take a moment right now and just get quiet before God. Just for a second. I'm gonna literally a few minutes. And ask God to solidify something in your heart. Now, that you're going to get it, that it's going to be a takeaway that you're going to leave here and do. Not 10 things, one thing that you're going to do. One thing that you're going to do. One thought about yourself you're going to replace. One thought of God you're going to adopt into your thinking. And that's how you do it little by little. And if you're in this room and you have never embraced the Messiah, you could do it today. He is the Messiah of Israel. He did come to set the captive free. That's what this was about. He wants you to be new He wants you to experience his fullness, but it happens in him. A divine connection to the living God, that's what it's always been about. It's not about a religion. It's not about doing things. It's about connecting to the living God through the Messiah. I'm going to say the ironic blessing and then um, if you'd like you can come up and seek the Lord or if you want prayer I'm available for prayer to pray for you just to agree with you about the things we spoke and 
and so on and so forth. Um, but also note that we, you know, we have um, uh, Hebrew two o'clock, so it gives us uh, a good uh, twenty-five minutes to um, to do what we need to do. So let's just uh, speak this over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. And so I will put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Be blessed of the Lord as you go. Um, And if you want prayer, I'm available uh, to pray. But, um, you know, I think a message like this, God has so much for your people. Go get it from him. Get it from him. Amen. You can put on some music, Jim.